So let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I started a series of messages several weeks ago. I titled Deception and I've been trying to deal with the reality of the deception in the world by by our enemy, the deception in the world that is being pushed by what the Bible calls evil men and imposters. They're deceived, of course, by the, our enemy, the devil, but they also go about deceiving. You can look in the scriptures at the many times that we're warned to not be deceived and come away with the conclusion that there is deception at work in the world. You can look at Jesus' own words in Matthew 24, where he speaks of the fact that this deception is so great that even the elect, even the children of God are in danger of falling for this deception. I've been trying to uncover and unmask some of the deception that is, uh, is happening in this world, particularly in our own very society and our very nation. And I offered some examples of how this deception is manifesting in our society. Both of the examples that I cited are very political issues. They're issues that have been made political. They should not be political issues at all. In fact, they shouldn't be issues, period. And to address the issues, particularly one of these issues, is becoming more and more dangerous today. It's becoming more and more dangerous because people will begin to call you unflattering names, bigot, some sort of phobic, intolerant, the list goes on. They'll seek to shame you. They'll seek to ostracize you. They'll seek to uh, cause other people to jump on their wagon and demonstrate towards you the very hate and intolerance that they claim to stand against. Your opinion is different than theirs. Then you find yourself staring down the end of the opening of their loaded barrel. I came across this article, I have to share it with you. And I say this with the utmost amount of sorrow. It is absolutely not my intention in any of these areas to be demeaning or belittling or even derogatory, if you will, towards 
individuals, but to address principles and precepts and to address truth and error. If the people of God do not speak up, then who will? I'm going to tell you what I, what I see coming. I'm, 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 when I step out like this, it usually means I'm getting away from the script. I do that a lot, don't I? Let me tell you where this, I think this is going. In the near future, in the near future, laws will be enforced that are already passed that will make it illegal for us to say certain words and certain things and to talk about certain ideas in a way that's not acceptable by the official position so that preachers of the gospel and of the word of God will be afraid to speak out about things in our world that are super detrimental to the very existence of life. As an example, the family has been under attack for a long, long time. And we see the disintegration of the family before our eyes. We recognize that the family unit is the foundational uh, foundational structure for society. We see society deteriorating, but yet no one will address the reality other than believers and men in the pulpits who have not succumbed to the pressures of society addressing the issue that the problems that we're seeing in society are the direct result of breaking the family apart. Allowing men to bear no responsibility for their actions is probably the greatest of these things that have happened in the family. The day I believe is coming when it will be illegal to say certain things or those laws will begin to be enforced. But men who have not compromised the truth, men who have not succumbed to the pressures of society will continue to stand and proclaim God's truth. And here's what I'm comfortable in saying. I'm confident in saying this. The day will come when men or women who are in the congregation will report or record and turn in preachers, pastors, or other believers for what they've said. Now I'm going to say that. You can write it down somewhere and come back later and say, yeah, he was right. But at this point in time, you're probably going, that is never going to happen in this country. Ask the Germans. It was totally different subjects, but ask the Germans. If I understand my Bible, a day is coming will brother will betray father, daughter will betray mother, brother will betray brother, 
and so on and so forth. And so the relationships that we've had that we thought were strong relationships will begin to crumble and people will be turning on one another in some cases for self-preservation or whatever. But some of it's going to be because of the idea of the intolerance. With all that said, let me say this. What I'm about to say, I say it as lovingly as I know how to say it, and I'm not, it's not my position or my place for practice to do anything other than try to speak truth. That's all. With that said, I'm going I'm to roll on. Now listen, you may have seen this. I don't know. I don't even know who this person is, an actress. I don't even know how to say her name. Charlie's, Charlize, C-H-A-R-L-I-Z-E, Charlize, Charlize, whatever. I, this is one of the problems I have with the English language. You can spell a name any way you want to, and that's stupid. For those of us who are phonically driven, I mean, that's stupid. Charlie Theron. Anybody know where I'm going? Have anybody seen this article? Charlie reveals her daughter, Seven, is transgender. I thought she was a boy, the 43-year-old admitted to the Daily News place, until she looked at me when she was three years old and said, I am not a boy. So there you go. I have two beautiful daughters, one uh, who, just like any parent, I want to protect and I want to see thrive. They were born who they are and exactly where in the world both of them get to find themselves as they grow up and who they want to be is not for me to decide. Theron adopted Jackson in 2012 and then her second daughter in 2015. She says, my job as a parent is to celebrate them and to love them and make sure that they have everything they need in order to be what they want to be. And I will do everything in my power for my kids to have that right and to be protected within that. Now listen, you know I grew up in South Africa where people lived with half-truths and lies and whispers and nobody said anything outright. And I was raised very specifically not to be like that. I was taught by my mom that you have to speak up. You have to be able to know that, with that when this life is over, you'll have lived the truth you're comfortable with and that nothing negative can come from that. I hope that didn't just go right over your head. Listen to this. I was taught by my mom that you have to speak up. You have to be able to know that when this life is over, you'll have, you'll have lived the truth you're comfortable with. You'll have lived the truth you're comfortable with. In other words, Brother Jerry, you just set up your own truth claims. You decide what's true. Brother Rufus, you set up your own set of truth claims. You decide what's true. Now, Jerry, you can't tell Rufus if his truths aren't aren't right 
and by the way, you, you're not to, to t- criticize Brother Jerry, whatever he says, his truth. His truth is his truth, and your truth is your truth, and you're right, and you're right. And that's how we live our lives. My friends, I, I want you to know that that is a deception. That is a part of this deception that I have been trying to bring out into the light. Where does this originate? Where does this come from? You are not special. You are not special. You are the result of billions of years, not special creation. You are an accident in this world, not a gift from God. And when your life is spent and is over and you die, you just go into oblivion and that's it. You go back into the earth, you take the dirt nap, end of story. Rather than, listen to me, when you breathe your last on this earth, you will stand before a holy and a righteous God and give an account for your life. So those are the basic ideas behind two worldviews. Everything falls into one of those two worldviews. And one is deception and one is truth. You do not get to make up your own truth. Here's, here's, here's what happens. We, we come to realize we can't live in this make-believe world. You see, because there's a man, he lives in my neighborhood, and he has taken a, a special attention toward my wife. Now, he's got a wife, but he's taken a special attention toward my wife, too. Now, he's, he's a bigger guy than I am. He's, he's about 6'6", six, six, and he's, he's got tree trunk arms, and he's scary looking. And he, 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 he's decided that what will make him happy is to have my wife, too. Well, that's his truth, right? That's his Who am I to tell him he's wrong? Well, this is my wife, so he's wrong. It's all fictitious, but here's the point. You can't live in this world. You cannot live in a world that is absent. Or, oh, let me take that back. You don't want to live in a world that is absent of Christian doctrine, principles, precepts. Christian values. You do not want to live in this world. We were out yesterday knocking on doors, inviting people to come to church in our Saturate Lounge uh, effort. And as I was walking from one house where I knocked on the door and the guy, you know, he looked at me, he at least he opened the door. And I invited him to church and I tried to leave him some information. He refused him. I don't know. Thank you. I don't want that. He wasn't ugly to me, but he sure wasn't courteous. And as I'm walking away, I'm thinking, Many people are becoming, they're going to be increasingly become antagonistic to the church. People who, who believe the truth, who want to practice the truth, who want to invite people to the truth. But here's the thought that went through my mind. I never had this deep of a thought before in my life, I don't think. The very person 
who would tell me they don't want anything to do with what I'm trying to share with them will also tell me that they do not want to live in a world absent of the values that I proclaim. Let me tell you how I know that. Where do you find that? Well, let's go to Russia. What happens when you don't have as a basis for your government and your society that all men are created equally and are endowed by their creator with certain rights? What do you get? Well, you get a, a, a czar in Russia, a strong man who you cannot criticize and you cannot call into question any of his activities. Hey, let's do this. Let's go to Iran and live. You pick the place on earth other than the United States of America you'd like to live that's better than here. Now, if you start calling out things, I'm going to say, why haven't you already gotten on the plane? <laughs> oh, I'd rather live so. Well, what's stopping you? Get over there. See, the reality is this is the best place in the world to live at this point in time, in my opinion. Why is that? Because the foundation has been Christian values, biblical values. But the very people who do not want those values to be uh, presented or discussed will be the very people who will also declare, you can't have my wife. You can't have my bicycle that I just bought just because you want it. So you can't live in that world. It's not tenable. But that is the deception that we obey the truth that we, that we create. It's, it's what's right for us and we do what we want to do and what feels good to us. So I came across some figures I want to share with you. This deception is great. This deception is moving at breakneck speed almost as fast as the speed of light listen at this from 1937 to 2000 they were doing surveys through all that time and they've got the records to show this from 1937 to the year 2000 church membership in this country remained consistent at 69 to 70 percent of the population 69 to 70 percent of the population was a member of a church somewhere doesn't mean they always attended. Doesn't mean they walked faithfully with Christ, but they at least were members of a church somewhere. By the way, just to make sure we're on the same page here, you're not saved by being a member of a church. You're only saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But still, it is an indicator of something, right? So from 2016 to 2018, in two years, let me take that back. From 2000 to 2016, the number of, of uh, members, people who were members of a church went from 69 to 52%. That's a 17% decrease in just 16 years. It has remained consistent from 2016 through 2018. The article that I was reading goes on to say this was a Gallup survey. It goes on to say this, that the reason for this decline isn't among most of the ages that are represented in here. It's because of the group known as the millennials. The millennials are driving this number down. I'm not trying to pick on those of you who are millennials. What I'm trying to do is to show you a 
correlation between what's happening in our nation, this deception that is taking place, and what we see happening around us. This group of young men and women are the most indoctrinated in the history of our country of this deception. And it's, this trend is going to continue downward. Without a great revival, this trend is going to continue. So the deception is great. The deception is real. Here's what I want to say to you this morning, though, as a, as a uh, coming off of, off of that introduction. Each and every one of us, each and every person in this room, we're, we're all faced with this, this great deception. It's ta- it has many faces and comes in many different forms. I've identified the primary, what I believe the root cause, the teaching of evolution and, and the rejection of God from everything public and getting trying to get rid of God and so on and so forth from anything to do with education and what have you. The reality, though, still is this. It does not change this statement I'm about to make to you. Every single person in this room this morning must decide what will you do with Jesus. I've told you, going all the way back to Genesis, that the whole purpose for the deception, and listen, remember this, if you've been coming and hearing this series on deception, The whole purpose for the deception is what, folks? To separate or keep separated men and women from God. In the Garden of Eden, it was to separate man from God, and since then it's continued to keep man separated from God. The enemy does not want you to come into a right relationship with God. And so he is at work trying to deceive and keep deceived the masses of humanity. So here's what I, I want to share with you this morning. That we each, each and every one, have got a decision to make. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. And I'm going to ask you to stand. And after I read this passage of scripture, I'm going to make a few comments and, and be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21 says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sent on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father in heaven, we pray right now you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that your word would would not come back void. God, that you will 
uh, accomplish that which you desire to accomplish in each and every life. In Jesus' precious name, amen. First thing I want to point out to you is this, that we must, we each must draw a conclusion about Jesus. On this Resurrection Sunday, I wanted to go right to the heart of the matter. I've been telling you for weeks that what the enemy is trying to do is to separate you or keep you separated from God, even the believer. He wants to disrupt the fellowship between you and God so that you do not know the, the peace of God that dwells in a person's heart when they have sweet fellowship and intimacy with God. He cannot get you out of um, relationship with God, but he can get you out of fellowship. For the person who does not know Christ, he is working overtime to keep you from ever coming to know Christ. He wants to keep you separated from God. And the bottom line is this, you've got to decide. You've got to decide. We all have to reach a conclusion. We've got to draw a conclusion. What is your conclusion today? Your conclusion may be that this is a bunch of uh, rhetoric and this is a bunch of old-fashioned nonsense. It's a bunch of historical, out-of-date, all kind of whatever. And, and, and uh, really, you know, it's just... It's, it's, the Bible's not reliable and not trustworthy and all these people here are just a bunch of uh, weaklings who need crutches and they need a God to prop them up and all this kind of thing. That's fine. That's your conclusion. You, yeah, here's the thing. Everyone will live with, with their conclusion, not only now, but in eternity. So draw your conclusion. What is your conclusion about Christ? The Apostle Paul says in verse 14 that he had concluded this, that one died for all. His conclusion as a studier of the Word of God and, 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 as, and as a student of, of the Old Testament, he had concluded after having observed the life of Jesus and had an encounter with Jesus that Jesus died for all people. This was his conclusion. He died for all. And that he rose again after he died. He rose again on their behalf. Paul's conclusion was that Jesus Christ died on our behalf. He rose on our behalf. And his death was sufficient for all men. He died for everybody. There's not one person in this room who's outside of the scope of God's love. God's forgiveness. God's mercy and grace, not one, not one. I don't care who you are. Adrian Rogers would say something like this. There's nobody so good, so bad. There's nobody so bad that they don't need, that they can't get God's forgiveness. And nobody so good that they don't need it. I don't care who you are, where you've been, what your background is, what your history is. God loves you. Jesus died for you. You have to decide, though. You've got to draw your conclusion about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Is he really who the Bible says he is? Is he really who all these Bible thumpers say he is? And if you'll spend enough time at Pine Grove, what you'll find is there ain't no Bible thumpers here. What you will find is this. There are people here who love Jesus. They love the Word of God, and they'll love you. And there's a sweet fellowship and there's a, just a wonderful family uh, gathering together here to, to accomplish God's work that he's uh, given us to do in this world. But there's no 
There's no um, holier-than-thou attitude. There's no we're-better-than-anybody-else attitude. And, and there's nothing like that. And there never should be in any congregation, any group of people who understand the grace of God can never be people who think they're better than somebody else, who want to exclude others from their fellowship as if they have the right to exclude people from fellowship with God's people. You have to draw your conclusion. Let me tell you what the Bible says in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 5 verse 17, listen to this. For if by the transgression of the one death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Death came into the world because of the sin of one man and it is, has made all men guilty. But guess what? Forgiveness through grace, the abundance of grace the, and the gift of righteousness has come through the life of one, Jesus Christ. Listen to what Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 11 say. This is a powerful passage of scripture that you'll want to go back and read and, and study and and, and commit to your memory. Listen to this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. The Bible says that Jesus took your place and my place on the cross, took our sins upon himself, and so he gave to us and offers to us forgiveness by grace. Listen to what our text, in our text, what verse 21 says. Paul says, I've concluded that Jesus died for all. Listen to this. The Bible says in verse 21, He's being God, made Him, being Jesus. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let me explain that to you as what's known as the great exchange. The great exchange, here's the thing. You and I were born as sinners who could do nothing about our sin. Our eternal destiny had already been secured. I deserved what I deserved because the wages of sin is death. What I deserve and what every person deserves is separation from God for all eternity. The Bible refers to that as hell. Hell is a literal place where people will spend eternity. And that's what I deserved. The wages of sin is death. I deserve that. But the great exchange was this. Jesus, who came into this world, who did not sin, who, who, who never sinned and did not des deserve 
Death did not deserve hell. He was God in the flesh, all God, all man, able to take my place, take your place on the cross. He took my sin upon himself. This is what this verse is telling us. He took my sin upon himself. He took your sin upon himself, took it to the cross, and paid the price for our sin. Sin deserved death. And Jesus suffered that death on our behalf. In exchange for that, what this verse is telling us is that by my faith in him, putting my faith and trust in him, and asking for his forgiveness to receive by grace his forgiveness, his righteousness was imputed into my life. So therefore now when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ rather than my putrid sin. Because Jesus took my sin and he dealt with it for me. And that's what he's done for you. That's exactly what he's done for you. That was the great exchange. He took your sin and gave you his righteousness. That was the wonderful, wonderful work. Of Jesus, And you have to decide today. You've got to draw a conclusion today about Jesus Christ. Paul concluded that Christ died for all. You've got to decide today, is Jesus really the only way to heaven? Or are there many ways to heaven? The prevailing thought in our society and around the world is this, all roads lead to heaven. In fact, there are those who think there is no heaven. Then there's no hell, there's no God. There are those who think God. there is a God, but God is so benevolent, it don't matter what you do. When you get to heaven, you just say you're sorry, and he'll let you in anyway. Now, the only way that that's possible is if the Bible is not true. And there are plenty of people who argue against the Bible's reliability, but I assure you they're not arguing in, uh, in sound reasoning. There's more evidence for the uh, for the authenticity and the reliability of the scriptures and of any other book in antiquity. The Bible is reliable. And what the Bible tells us is this, that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, no man comes to the Father. Well, what about all those people who lived before Jesus? Their faith was in Jesus, though Jesus had not been born yet. They believed God for a Savior future. You and I haven't seen Jesus. How are we saved? By looking back and believing in a Savior in the past. The same Savior that they were looking forward to, we look back to. And we put our faith in Him. Hallelujah, one of these days, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give you some good news. One day our faith will become sight. You've got to decide. You must draw a conclusion. Not only must you draw a conclusion about Jesus, the right conclusion requires allowing Jesus to control our lives. Verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. He would go on to say that, that uh, because he died for us, that we would, no, we would no longer live our lives for ourselves. And so the love of God, which is what? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The love of Christ that compelled him to the cross, that, that took him to the cross to die for my sin and your sin. That love which, which kept him on the cross rather than him calling thousands upon thousands and thousands of angels to come and deliver him. And rather, and instead of him speaking the word and just making all those around at the foot of the cross just fall back like they did in the Garden of Eden when they came to arrest him or whatever else he would have done. He endured that cross. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me. And he endured that cross because of a great 
the love that he has, and it's that love which compels us to offer ourselves to him in surrender, to allow him to control our lives and to not live our lives for ourselves, but to, but to live our lives for others. He said, he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Let me read for you from Romans again, and this time in chapter 14. Romans 14, verses 7 through 8. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. The right conclusion about Jesus Christ requires allowing him to take control of our lives. Lastly, when Jesus controls our lives, we are his representatives. So here the scripture says that we are his ambassadors. In verse, in verse 20 of our text, he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. I don't, I don't know if you really have a great grasp on what an, an ambassador is, uh, but you... You ought to familiarize yourself with the concept of ambassador. As a nation, we have ambassadors all over the world. When I would travel out of the country, go to other countries, one of the joys that I would have in that travel would be the times when I would get to see the U.S. Embassy in the country that I was in. You know why? Because that's American soil. And if, if, ever, if anything went wrong, if I could just get back to there, I'd be okay. That's the U.S. Embassy. There's an ambassador there, a representative of this great country. What does an ambassador do? He is there to work on the relationship between our country and that country. He is kind of like a middleman. He is there to try to foster good relations. He is there to try to work on, on making sure that there's a good relationship between this country and that country. Paul says here, the word of God says, you are ambassadors for Christ. What does that mean? That means it is my responsibility and your responsibility to try to bring a good relationship between God and those around us. We're his ambassadors in this world. We negotiate with others regarding their relationship with God, wanting to see them be in, come back into relationship with Him because the enemy is seeking to keep them separated from God. He uses some language here that's interesting, some words that we really rarely use. He says, he says, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He goes on to say he committed to us the word of reconciliation. This idea, this word reconciliation or reconciled is a banking term. Some of you guys remember the old days when you had a ledger for your checking account and you would go through and balance your checking account and make sure that that everything added up and at the end of the month it all was accounted for and balanced. This is the idea here. What God is wanting us to be a part of, what he's done for us and wants us to be a part of is he wants us to be ambassadors who are representing him in this world and he wants us to help people to be reconciled to him brought back into a right relationship with him the idea is to is for them to come into agreement or harmony with God to come into agreement or harmony you see our enemy has separated man from his creator 
and he continues to work very diligently to keep man separated. But there are those whom God has drawn out of that, brought new life into them through faith in Jesus Christ, and they have, listen, they have the ministry of reconciliation. You and I who profess Christ have the, rec the ministry of reconciliation. That is, it is our responsibility as we go to seek to bring others who are still separated from God back into harmony with God, back into a right relationship with Him, back into agreement with God. If He controls our lives, we are His representatives. Listen to verse 1. He says, working together with Him. We also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So we're working with God as His representatives to bring the world back to Him. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says of us that we are God's fellow workers. So friend, this morning I want you to hear this very clearly, please. Make a decision. You have to draw a conclusion. Some will go away from here today, I know, First of all, angry that I had the audacity to say that somebody shouldn't tell their seven-year-old child or three-year-old child that they can, instead of being a boy, be a girl. You know, you know what happened this week? I was, I was out there at the farm. I was out there at the farm. And, and we've had two calves born in the last couple of weeks. And so we, the first one w was born, and, and it was a little, they call heifer. That's what a young female cow is called a heifer. Until she gives birth, she's called a heifer. I mean, I've never heard that term used anywhere else, any other way, but little calf, she, you, can, you can tell it's a girl. Well, the second one was born, and real, we did a real quick check. It's a heifer. Hallelujah, we got a heifer. A second heifer. Yeah, I mean, you want heifers. That's what you want. And then after a few days, Jacob was out there uh, working with that, little, that second little calf, and he goes, I got some news for y'all. What? He said, this ain't no heifer, this is a bull. How do you know, Daddy? I know. I know the difference. But here's what I said. <clears throat> it's not going to be a bull. We're going to tell this little guy he's a heifer. <laughs> well, that's what we're going to do. We're gonna, I mean, that's what you can do. You can just say, somebody might be mad at me for saying this woman should not tell her child that, but friend, it's no different than that heifer, that little bull. God made that little boy a boy. He doesn't get to choose that, and that is so sad. Somebody's going to go away from here going, boy, he was on a high horse, he was on blah, blah. That's fine. Choose, though. Choose. You can't stay in between. Friend, listen to me. I beg you, I'm saying to you this morning just what Paul was saying here. He says to them, I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I'm begging you this morning, come into relationship with Him. If you don't know Him as your Savior, ask Him to forgive you of your sins and receive Him into your life. Let your relationship with God be established on faith in Jesus Christ. I'm begging you to do that. You're going to have to decide because one day, I'm going to tell you the truth. You're not hearing it from many places. I'm going to tell you the truth. You're going to stand before God one day. You're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account. He's going to say, you remember April the 21st, 2019, that old country hit 
pastor down there at that small Baptist church in Valdosta, Georgia, he told you that day to sign. And you knew in your heart I was drawing you to me. I was, I was pricking on your heart and I was tugging on you to give your life to me and you refused. And you're, he, He's going to hold you to account. I am begging you this morning, give your life to Christ. I'm begging those of you who already know Christ to, to don't let the enemy deceive you into thinking that God will accept less than first place in your life. I am begging you, each and every one, to be reconciled to God today. That is, to come back into a harmonious relationship with Him. I'm begging you. The deception is great. And the voices are many which tell you you don't need to do that. But you need to hear the voice of truth. And the voice of truth says, be reconciled to God. Would you please bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to lead us in prayer. I'm going to ask you, if you do not know Christ as your Savior today, but you would choose to follow Him, that you would just pray right now and pray asking Him to forgive you of your sins and come into your life right now. I don't have to tell you the words to say. It's from your heart to His. Just mean it in your heart. And the Bible says that you will be saved. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you please today call on him for salvation, to be forgiven of your sins, to be reconciled to God. For those of you who know Christ, but you know there's a distance between you and God, you know that there's a, a thing in your life that's keeping you out of the right fellowship with God that God wants you to have and you long to have deep down, would you this morning ask God to forgive you of that thing and to save you from that thing? and to help you to turn from that thing. Whatever it is, just be reconciled today. Your greatest desire is to be in harmony with God. That's man's greatest desire. I believe that with all my heart. Is to be in harmony with his creator. Would you right now pray as the Spirit of God leads you. I'm going to lead us in prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand and sing along. And I ask you to come and kneel and pray. I'll pray with you. If you pray to receive Christ, would you please come and tell me so I can rejoice with you and, and share it with these other believers and they can rejoice as well. Whatever the decision is you need to make, you make it right now during this time of invitation. Father God in heaven, our prayer will be your will be done in this room in our hearts as it is in heaven. Father, we pray that any and every person who needs to be reconciled will be reconciled to you. Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.